lesson this morning in Daniel chapter 6. And uh, I'm confident that the Sunday school classes in the rooms that I'm not in are a tremendous blessing also, but I'm not in those rooms. Uh, but I am in this room. And I can say honestly, if you're not uh, coming for Sunday school, you should come for Sunday school. Uh, and again, this is not a matter of attendance type of a thing. This is really a matter of being blessed. Uh, and you can go on, if you missed today's Sunday school uh, lesson, you can go on uh, the, our website and you can catch it there. Uh, just a tremendous blessing as we uh, saw together today the power of our Savior, the power of our God, and something that really stood out to me this morning in a way that, in a way that I've not really laid hold of it before personally in uh, Daniel had to do with the seal and just realizing that uh, in uh, history, it's still true today, but not nearly with the same authority. Throughout history, the seal of the king had such tremendous authority. And uh, what, the, what the king sealed, only those who were supposed to were allowed to open. And when the seal was meant to be closed, in other words, you're not allowed to open this, it was under penalty of death. And first of all, this wasn't mentioned in the Sunday school, but it's where my mind went immediately. I just picture all of the power of the Roman Empire sealing the tomb of our Lord Jesus. And if you, if you know the passage, you realize that an angel comes down and just literally rolls that stone. Oh, this seal? And just rolls that stone away. But the seal that our Lord Jesus broke was far greater than the seal of Rome. Because, see, he broke the sin of death and hell. And, you know, there's a, there's a song that many of us really love. Uh, as, as death screams, I've lost my hold. What a tremendous truth that is. But what really, laid, what really struck my heart this morning was when you were saved, you were sealed by the Holy Ghost. And let me tell you something. This is a seal that no one can touch. No one can touch. No, listen, what I mean by this is it's not just, oh, don't open that seal under penalty of, of, of upsetting that king, the king of kings and lord of lords. The point that I'm making is they can't break that seal. Satan cannot, if you're born again, if you're a new creature, nothing, nothing, including you, by the way, don't mean to be unkind to the free will Baptist, but including you, nothing can break that seal. Nothing. When you were sealed, it is finished. Literally, it is finished. And I thank God for that. I thank God for such a, such a secure salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. He has literally done everything. And he has sent the Holy Ghost as a witness to you that you are sealed by God, that you are indeed a new creature. I'd like you to open your Bible with me, if you would, uh, to James James, um, let's open to chapter 1, James chapter 1, James chapter 1. In our study of the book of James, we have made it all the way to the end, all the way to the end of <clears throat> chapter 5, which means that we have finished uh, the book. And what we're going to do today and next week and the week after that, I believe, 
is we are going to review it. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to review it. We're going to look at a few things, some things that I'd like you to take with you uh, from the book of James, some things that I believe the Lord would like to have upon your heart as you remember the book of James. One of the things that I am uh, beginning to understand wonderfully is this. My understanding of this book, whatever this book is, is greatly impacted by my understanding of that book, whatever that book is, if you understand what I'm saying. So every time you open your Bible, every time you study your Bible, every time you spend time in the Word of God, that which you learn wherever you're in the Word of God is going to help you in your walk with God everywhere else you open your Bible. It is one book. It has one focus. And God wants to not just sharpen our understanding, but to strengthen our faith through his word continually. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then again, let me explain what I mean when I say faith. Faith is not ambiguous. Faith is not fuzzy. Faith is your response to what God says. And what God wants you to have is a strong trust, confidence in him, not just in his word and who he is himself. Father, bless us as we spend these couple of minutes together in your word. I thank you for loving us. I thank you that your word is powerful all by itself. Lord, I ask you that you would uh, help me. Lord, there's so much that, we are, that we're going to see in these next couple of weeks. And I ask you, Lord, that you would give us these things to take with us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's curious. Um, the Curtis has some guests with him. And as I was talking about Bobby going, coming up from Florida looking like he came up from Mississippi and then making reference to the fact that I, uh, having grown up in Vermont, making reference to the same um, bib overalls. Um, and I said I probably just insulted somebody from Vermont, but I didn't realize is Curtis, one of Curtis' guests comes from Mississippi. And uh, <laughs> so I didn't have to wait till later to hear that I offended somebody. <laughs> Amen. Are there any other states that I should insult before I get started? <laughs> uh, amen. <clears throat> At the beginning of the book of James, in James chapter 1, I'm just going to read the first few verses, verse, down to verse 5. What I'm going to do is I'd like to draw a couple of uh, points. One, two actually in verse 1, chapter 1, excuse me. Two in chapter 1, one in chapter 3 and then one in chapter 5 that I think will help you to see, uh, if you will, the, uh, maybe the, the lattice work of the book. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. You should, if you're keeping notes, write verses 1 through 5, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Keep those and then immediately follow that with this, James chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Verses 14 through 18. And then we'll read this. 
We can, we can start in verse 13. I think that, that context will help you. But, but let no man say when he is tempted, right? Because you find yourselves these temptations in verse 2. But let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then... When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will, Begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Then turn to chapter 3, James chapter 3. John read this passage during our Bible reading portion. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. So write this in your notes. Now, the next passage you'll write is chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. Who is a wise man? And endued with knowledge among you. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And then lastly, if you will turn to James chapter 5, In verse 11, James 5, 11, and we're going to read through verse 16. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. But let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What I'd like you to notice is throughout this book, you realize that God is dealing, this is really significant, God is dealing with the very real everyday life. 
Now, we only could read a couple of verses in order to kind of get, as I said, to just get a, a thumbnail sketch, if you, if you will, up from one end of the book to the other. And I would say this, and I mean this with all of my heart, if you can take from the book of James, James 3, 13 through 18, as God working out this whole new quality of life in your everyday life, this is what God is promising. Please understand, in the book of James, what we're seeing is this. God promises that what you learned about your salvation in Hebrews, what you saw about your great high priest pouring out a whole new quality of life, God intends to show you, and this is so important, do you have this in your everyday life? Because if you, if you don't have this whole new quality of life in your everyday life, then you don't have what God wants for you. Do you understand? God is not interested, please hear me, God is not interested in us being one way today and another way on Tuesday. God wants to so conform us to the image of his son that we are not like we were at all anymore, but we are like the Lord Jesus instead. And, and I know, I know there are so many of you that are here this morning, there are so many that will hear this later who will say, this is all I want. If you're really born again, I really believe in your heart of hearts, this is all you really want. I no longer want to be like myself anymore. I do not, listen, I no longer want to impress God with my good works. I would far rather God change me to be like his son instead. Now, I get no glory when this happens, but I don't need any glory. I can't earn any glory anyway. Romans chapter 7 makes it very clear. So long as you're living a Christian life where you want to do good so you can show God how good you can do, you're going to fail and fail and fail because to do good isn't in you. But if the Holy Ghost lives within you, it is in you if you walk after the Spirit instead of after the flesh. See, Every sin in your life, every failure in your life is of your own lust. It is of your own selfishness. It is of what you want. That's what happens. But be, do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. Amen? So if, if you see good in any Christian, you can know this. That good is of God. God has made that difference in that person's life. And here's the wonderful thing. As we grow in grace, as we grow in a knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, not only do we become wonderfully aware of this, it's all we want all day, every day. This is what God, this is what God wants you to have. Now, I need you to turn back one book because I need you to understand. I, I don't have time. We really don't have time to go through the book of Hebrews. But I need you to take this verse, this passage, and I need you to understand that this is what God wants to do. How he ends the book of Hebrews is the introduction to the book of James. Hebrews is the first general epistle, the first epistle that deals with the reality of your salvation. What God wants to do in the reality epistles is to see, do you have the promises? Do you have the promises? Hear me. Do you have the promises? God promises to change you and to conform you to the image of Christ by his own power. 
using his holy word and his Holy Spirit and even his holy servants, which sounds awkward, but it really is true. Because if you're a new creature, you are a holy servant. You are not holy and righteous in and of yourself, but you have an imputed righteousness. You are a new creature. If you have a, if you are a new creature at all, if you have an inward man, he's holy. She's holy. That's what God has done. And it is. And it is, God says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Why? Because the one who wants to use his holy word and his holy spirit wants to use that holy vessel, which he has saved to change other people's lives. He's the one doing this. Now, let's look at this. This is the culmination, if you will, of Hebrews found in chapter 13. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to look, to, look at verse 20 and 21. Just those two verses. So go to write this, by the way, before we read it, I'll give you a second. Turn over to James chapter one and above James chapter one, write Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Because what you're going to see in the book of James is God is promising to make that promise your everyday life. Okay, so now let's look at what that promise is. Now, the God of peace. Look up here for just a moment. How wonderful. Knowing yourself, how wonderful is it that God wants you to think of him as the God of peace? Amen? I remember, honestly, I remember the day I was saved. I, I really do. I remember, I, remember very, I remember the moment I was saved. And this is what I remember immediately. I have peace with God. It was, a, it was very real to me. I had offended God. I was a very ungodly man. I had offended God and I was aware of it. Listen, I knew there was a God and I knew he was quote unquote keep, keeping score and I knew I was messing it up. I knew it. I was just going to avoid him as long as I possibly could until somebody told me, don't avoid him. He loves you. He wants to save you from you, not just from your sins. He wants to save you from you. And Christ came to do that. And when I realized that was true, and when I realized that God wanted to not just deal with my bad, my bad attitude, if you will, but God wanted to deal with all of the wickedness that I had done, all the wickedness that I could ever do, God was putting it to death on the cross. When I realized that and I confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, truly believing that Christ had died to pay for my sins, I had peace with God. And you talk about light. Boy, did I feel like, I know I've shared this with you, uh, this really old gentleman in, in, um, in DePaul Hospital laying in, in a bed next to another gentleman that I'd gone to visit, who, by the way, his wife was a member of our church. He'd asked me to go visit in the hospital. He wanted nothing to do with the gospel at all. But this gentleman behind him heard me talking to this man and said, uh, he called me father. Father, would you come over here and see me? And I walked over and I thought, you know, many people, when, they, when you go to a hospital, very many people want the pastor to come pray. I have cancer or I have this sickness or I have this surgery coming up. Would you pray with me? And, and of course, you're glad to be able to pray with them. But he said, would you pray with me? And I said, sure. I said, what would you like me to pray about? And this is what he said. I heard you telling that man that even now God would forgive him of all of his sin. And I heard you read many passages, and I'd like to talk about those passages. And I said, yes, sir, we can. And so we went through the passages again. These passages were in John, and they were in Romans primarily. These are, and there are many other passages. I just happened to be using some passages that were in John and in Romans. And this is what he said. He said, can I ask God to forgive me of my sins? 
And I said, yes, sir, you can. He said, can I do it right now? And I said, yes, sir, you can. And he just, without me even saying, if you'll bow your head. And, I mean, I, I never pray with people, by the way. Don't pray with people. You can't pray somebody's salvation. They'll have to. And so I just said, sir, I'll sit here with you. You pray. He bowed his head and he prayed and he asked the Lord. He confessed his sins and he confessed his sins. And he asked the Lord Jesus to forgive him. He looked up at me. I, 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 I can see his face. He looked up at me and this is what he said. This is the first words out of his mouth. I feel light. Amen. And I said, yeah, I remember that feeling. I feel light. And, this, and then I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. These are the second words out of his mouth. I have peace with God. I said, yes, sir, you do have peace with God. He said, how come I went to church all my life and I did all these rituals and I never had peace with God? I said, that's because you were trusting in the rituals. But you can't, rituals can't save you. Church can't save you. The blood of Christ must save you. And he knew it. Now, by the way, let me just tell you, this is just a wonderful truth. So that man that rejected the gospel that I'd gone to visit gave me this. this and I don't want to make this the whole sermon. That day, the day before I had gone to see the same gentleman. Okay, I, I don't really want to use his name. The guy who was, a, who was the husband of a woman who was a member of our church. I'd gone to see him the day before. He was in a different room. So let's say he was in room 120. Today he was in room 136. And this man was in room 136 with him. The next day I went back to see him. He was not in room 136. He was like in room 145. So in three days he was in three different rooms. So I, went, I walked into room 136 to see him. And the gentleman that had asked Jesus to save him the night before. And I walked into the room and it was completely empty. Both beds were clean and made. And I, so, you know, you can tell when people are out for testing because their bed's not made. I mean, they're not in the room, but, they're, but, they're, but you can tell they're coming back. And so I walked down to the nurse's station. And I said, where are the two men that were in room 136? And she said, Mr. So-and-so was down in room 145. I said, what about the other gentleman? And she said, Mr. So-and-so? And I said, honestly, I don't know his name. And she said, and she described me. I said, yes, that's him. And she says, he died last night. He died last night. And he died light. Amen. Amen. He died having peace with God. So this, so as you begin to read Hebrews chapter 13, this little summary that we're going to take into James, which we already did take into James, by the way. We're just reviewing it, right? Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great Shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's a promise. That's a tremendous gift of God. Then you turn the page and you get into the book of James. And by the way, after you get in through the book of James, you come to 1 Peter, then 2 Peter, then 1, 2, 3 John and Jude. All of these books are given to find out, to bite the coin, if you will. Is this kingdom gold that you've got or is this a lie of the world? Are you believing some religious system or is the blood of Jesus Christ actually saved you? Is the Holy Ghost living in you? Are you a new creature? Are you really being changed? Because if you're not being changed in your everyday life, you're lying to yourself. You probably don't have salvation. If you have to psych yourself up to go to church so that you can enjoy that or, not, or maybe tolerate, not even enjoy, that little bit of time in the house of God, something's wrong. Something's wrong. 
Now, by the way, I've been in many places, religious places, where I would not blame you for wanting to get out of it. But it is nothing to do with the building. It has nothing to do with the preacher. It has to do with Christ. And you should have a strong, strong inward desire because the inward man delights in the law of God. The new creature that's in you, man, he's all about what God wants, all about it. Now, now you find, Romans chapter 7 makes it very clear, you find this wrestling match. The old man who's dead, by the way, he still wants to be in charge. He still wants to be in charge. Don't let him. Don't walk after the flesh. Walk after the spirit. And as we walk after the spirit, the promises of God change our lives. Now, again, I told you that we would do this in three weeks. I want you to, I want, I'd like to, maybe I'll even make copies of this and give this to you. Let me give you this brief outline. You, some of you already wrote it down, I'm sure, but I want you to have it. For those of you that weren't here when we started the book, let me just give you this brief outline. I'm going to, chat, I'm going to give you a, a five-step uh, five outline, which is just chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five. Let me give this to you first. Write this down in your notes. You can write it. I would write it over the chapters if you have room to, in your Bible to write it over the chapters. They're not long. Chapter one, chapter one, daily temptation and perfect patience. Daily temptation and perfect patience. Chapter two, daily faith that works. Daily faith that works. Chapter three, daily wisdom from above. Daily wisdom from above. Chapter four, daily grace to overcome lust, lips, and the law. Daily grace to overcome lust, lips, and the law. And then chapter five, daily living in light of eternity. Daily living in light of eternity. Okay, going to go through it one more time. She lives with me. She could just get it when we leave, but I'll go through it one more time anyway, okay? Um, chapter one, daily temptation and perfect patience. Daily temptation and perfect patience. Chapter two, daily faith that works. This is, and this is a play on faith and works, but it really is important. Daily faith that does work is the idea. If it doesn't work, it's not faith, okay? Daily faith that works. Chapter three, daily wisdom from above. You and I are, have a tendency toward fleshly wisdom, earthly wisdom. We're inundated, we are attacked by it all day long in our own heart and by everybody around us. But God wants to give us daily wisdom from above. Chapter four, daily grace to overcome lust, lips, and the law. And then chapter five, daily living in light of eternity. Daily living in light of eternity. Then go back to chapter one. Hopefully you have some space. I have a lot of notes written at the beginning of my you know, in your Bible, I write a lot of things in my Bible that will help me the next time I come to it. So write these down. Here, these are six, six words. Six words. Give you, number two has got a few words in it. So you can write however you want to. But, there, but when we study it, it's going to be all of those words. Six words. Six words that you're going to... Six words. Six themes. Six truths that run throughout the book. With that outline and these six words, if you spend time really looking at these, you will realize that if you tie these things together, which is what we're going to do in review, you'll realize just how significant this book is in you realizing that God promises to change your everyday life. Number one is the word promise. Number one is the word promise. Promise. 
Number two, it's, it's, it's temptation, trial, tongue, and lust. Those words together. Temptation, trial, tongue, and lust. The third, the third word is patience. So you have promise and temptation and those that went with it. Patience. Number four is perfect. Number five is peace. And number six is pray. Now, I was tempted to find a P for number two. But as I've said, I don't like to alliterate. Really, I don't like to alliterate unless it does. Now, the word promise, patience, perfect, peace, and pray are all truly significant words. And so I could have left off the other one because it didn't match. But temptation, trial, tongue, and lust are significant parts of this book. You need to have these together. Promise, temptation, patience, perfect, peace, pray. Those are the things. That's it. That's, that's, the, that's what we're going to look at today. Not very much. Uh, tomorrow. I mean, next Sunday and the Sunday after that. That's what I wanted you to be able to see. Now, let me give you a couple of words, a couple of words that are, that, that, are, that are prominent in this book. Now, I just told you, so you just gave us six words. What I want you to do, I, you don't have to write these down, but I do want you to hear them. I want you to hear them because I want you to notice that these are significant things that God, they, they, this, this tells you something about this book. Here's the thing, okay, dominant words, man, brethren, and brother, man, brethren, and brother. Now, wh- wh- why, why does this matter? I have a, why does this matter? Because your everyday life is full of others, See? Do you understand? Listen, I am really, honestly, I am a great Christian when I'm by myself, right? I, I, have, I, I have almost no arguments, right? Nobody bothers me. I get along wonderfully well all by myself, amen? Anybody, anybody else have that testimony? Amen? Yes, yes. My, my father used to say that, I'm not joking, my father used to say that he would like our nearest neighbor to have a different zip code than, than we did, <laughs> But daily life, you don't get to be by yourself. Do you understand? So what happens is this. Picture this again. Everybody walking around, right? Here's, everybody's walking around with their glass. Now, I have a, I have a this is actually a, a uh, transparent glass, so you can see this glass has water in it. But, our, but, our, but we have a vessel that is opaque. Do you understand what that means? You can't see into it? So picture you're walking around with a plastic cup. It would be whatever color you want it to be, blue, green, yellow, one of those primary colors, thick, you know, rubber-made kind of a glass. And, it's, you know, it's a big cup. And you walk around and you tell everybody, my cup is full of milk. This is my life, and my cup is full of milk. But here's the problem. When we walk around, we bump into each other. And orange juice, orange juice keeps coming out of everybody's cup, right? Because you can talk about milk all day long. And you can even pretend that your life is full of milk when you're by yourself. But when you get bumped and orange juice comes out, God says, hmm, that looks a lot like orange juice to me. Amen? This is significant. This is a really important point. This is a very important truth. What God wants you to understand is he wants your life to be so full of the glory of God, so full of the Holy Ghost, that when people bump you, they don't see you. They see him instead. Right? Because we are going to bump into each other. The problem with bumping into each other is each other. That's the problem. It isn't that you bump into me. It's what comes out of me when you bump into me. That's what God wants to change. And this is the promise. The promise is, remember, 
Man, 25 times. Brethren, 14 times. Brother, 5 times. This word occurs over and over and over again. Men, brethren, this is it. We're going to be around each other, and God wants you to be aware of that. As he's working out these promises, as he's working out patience, as he's working out prayer, as he's perfecting us, he wants you to understand this is going to be being done in the presence of very many people. Praise God for that. But also, in this book, God, Lord, and faith. 17, 15, and 16 times. God, Lord, and faith. This is how we are going to live daily with each other. By God, our Lord, changing our faith so that there really is milk coming out of our cup when we bump into each other. The last word I want you to see is the word works. And this is pretty significant. 13 times. 13 times in uh, this book, 13 times the word works come out. So this is it. Hear me, hear me, hear me. One of the things that you find in a lot of uh, Christianity in America today that deals with faith a lot is this kind of this nebulous, what's the word, wishy-washy, touchy-feely kind of a thing. If you're, I'm not trying to be, please don't think I'm trying to be mean when I say that. But the problem with that is this. Your faith has to change your life. Yes? There, your life has to be full of good works. If your life is not full of good works, this book says you don't have any faith. In fact, this book is actually going to say, if you can't show me your faith by your works, you have no faith. The works in your life should reveal. You're not saved by works, right? Galatians. I remember the first time I read the book of James. I mean, I remember reading the book of James and thinking, because I hadn't read, you know, Galatians that long before I read the book of James, because I was just a baby Christian. I just, you know, I just read my Bible. I was just reading through it. And it's not that many pages ago as the book of Galatians. I remember thinking, God, do you know these are both in here? Right? Because the, the book of Galatians is very clear. Not of works lest any man should boast. You are not saved by your works. Then you get to the book of James said, you better have some good works. But here's the difference. If you're being saved by your works, then you have something to brag about. But you're not saved by your works. But if you are saved, your life will be full of good works because you're a new creature. If you are really a new creature, doesn't it make perfect sense that if I am born again, that I wouldn't be living like I was when I was born the first time? That the natural man is no longer ruling and reigning in my life, but that God is instead? So what we see at the end of this, after the, book, after the word faith, we see the word works. And I want you to lay hold of that. I want you to take that with you. So we have the outline. We have the prominent themes of the book. And then we have these words that are used a great deal. Now, what this would do is this brings us to, to word number one. And word number one is the word promise. Word number one is the word promise. So what I'd like you to do is open to James chapter one, and we'll look at word number one. I want you to see the promise, the first promise. James chapter one, verse 12. James chapter 1, verse 12. We're not going to be able to get very far. I feel a little awkward. We're going to kind of have an abrupt ending. This is, this, 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 the next three weeks are going to be more like a class. By the way, we will have class on Tuesday night for those of you that are coming to the Tuesday night class. We will have class on the book of Exodus on Tuesday night. Prayer at 6.30 and class will be at 7. And this is going to be a little bit more like that for the next couple of weeks because I really need to teach you these things and not preach them if you understand. Uh, promise, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man... That endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord 
hath promised to them that love him. Now, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to put a box around, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Put a box around that. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. And then you can just underline the rest of that all the way to the comma. For when he is tried, keep underlining, he shall receive the crown of life. So the promise is, is this is the promise. Listen, here, look up here for just a moment. This is the promise. If you love him, if you love him, if you're really a new creature and you love God, he promises you will endure the temptation. You will endure the temptation. You will be tried and you will receive the crown of life. Now, why is this important? It really goes to what we began the entire time together this morning, and that is this. God does, listen, God does not want you to die as a member of a church. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? God does not want you to die as the member of a church and your faith to be in your membership. What a horrible way to die. He wants you to know that you're a new creature. He wants you to know that he has changed you. Look at me. Not you have changed yourself for him. That he has changed you. If he, listen, if he hasn't changed you, you are not changed. And this is what he, blessed is the man. Perfectly happy, by the way. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. This, this is going to bring in the very idea of patience and temptation. Many of the words that we see. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried. And you will be tried. Why? Um, look, look here for just a moment. I want you to picture this. Um, I, I talked about biting into the coin. If you, found, if you found a hunk of gold, if you found a hunk of gold, right? If you found a hunk of gold, come, come show it to me, okay? We'll go, we'll go turn it in together, okay? If you found a hunk of gold, you want to know the very first thing they're going to do with your hunk of gold? You know what they're going to do? The very first thing they're going to do with it? Prove. Prove whether that's a hunk of actual gold or not. That it's not iron pyrite, right? That it's not something that you melted that has the color, that's not brass, that it's not something that you said, oh, here, look, I have this gold. They weigh it and say, well, that gold is worth X amount of dollars. The first thing they're going to say is, well, let's find out if what you have there is gold. Then what they're going to do is they're going to melt your pile of gold and find out how much of the gold is actual gold. And they're going to remove all of the dross because they're not paying you for that. And once the gold is gold, then they're going to give you the value of what? The actual gold. Do you understand? This is what God wants you to understand. Do you have real faith? Or do you have worldly faith? Are you trusting God or are you trying to prove something to God? This is what he wants you to understand. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now, with that, in, with that in mind, what I want you to do, and oh boy, this is going to sound so geeky, it's going to sound so much like a class, but you need to understand that word temptation, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, the Greek number is 3986. And I'm going to show you two other verses in this chapter that are really significant because this promise is to endure temptation. So let's look at that temptation. James chapter 1, verse 2, first of all, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers, what? Temptations. Exact same Greek 
word. Now, let me go back. We don't have time to reteach chapter 1 again. But here's the, this is such a tr- tremendous, this is such a wonderful truth. When you got saved, when I got saved, do you remember your life when you were first saved? I mean, really remember when you were first saved? I remember. I remember this. I remember that I was just simply overjoyed with the forgiveness of God. I was then almost immediately shocked by how much my life was full of conflict. Listen, I'm not talking about other people conflicting with me, although that did happen somewhat. I'm talking about me conflicting with me. Because all the things that I did before I was saved that were my friend, they were no longer my friends. Now, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about things. I don't want to go through the list of things because they're ungodly things and I don't want to glorify the sin that was in my life before. But I had terrible things that were in my life that I was comfortable doing. But now I wasn't comfortable with them anymore. But they still wanted to be a part of my life. Do you see what? And here's why. Because every man is drawn away of his own lust. See, your old man still has the same desires. He still wants to do the same terrible things that he was doing before you got saved. But the inward man, he wants nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. And what's funny is you almost look like a lunatic in front of your friends because you're the one going through this wrestling match. And God says, count it all joy that this is going on because that's the first sign that you're a new creature. Count it all joy that suddenly I don't want to do this anymore. And it's a wrestling match going on in your life because God's going to win all those battles. That's the promise. And you can see that in chapter uh, 1, verses 13 and 14. Go to verses 13 and 14. Let no man say when he is tempted, same Greek word, that I am tempted, same Greek word of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. All of them are the same root word. All of them. So God is making this wonderfully clear, isn't it? Look, look, when you first got saved, it was a conflict. And guess what? There will be conflict because of sin for the rest of your life, but God is not the one tempting you. It's just the old things wanting to be in your life still. And God is going to, let's, what, right? blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Listen, look, look, look. There's a passage, I can't remember where it is right now, where it talks about um, God has foreordained good works that we should walk in them. God has foreordained good works that we should walk in them. Now, I want to, let me explain that to you. God has before ordained good works that we, you, me, should walk in them. You know what that means? You're going to do something right. If you're born again, you're going to do something right. Why? Because God has foreordained good works that you were going to walk in. And now, I remember thinking as a baby Christian, am I ever going to do anything right? And then I read that passage and I got I'm so excited. I'm going to do something right. At least one or two things, this passage is very clear, that all of us, God has foreordained good works for us to walk in. By my own strength, this is it. Romans chapter 7, you spend a lot of time living in Romans chapter 7. God has foreordained good works. Well, let me get into this good work stuff. And you try to do the good works and you fail and you fail and you fail and you fail and you fail. And when you finally fail in trying, you will find success in dying. Die. You can't do it. He can He has foreordained good works that we should walk in there. But there will be temptation in the life of everyone who's a new creature. But listen, you don't have to follow that temptation anymore. You don't have to walk after the flesh. You can walk after the spirit. And this book of James is making it very clear. All of these tests, all of these trials, all of these things, God is saying, I'm going to conquer them all in your life. And by the way, the trials are common. 
you understand when I say common? In other words, you don't go through trials. You want to know the funny thing about Christians? We have a Thursday night men's meeting. The Thursday night men's meeting is the only time that we meet in our church, to my knowledge, um, where people actually talk about their real failure. And then we pray together about it. And then we rejoice in victory as God gives victory. Do you want to know why Christians don't talk about their failure? Because other Christians pretend they don't have any. Right? Right? I'll pray for you, brother. I have never once had any problem with that sin since I was saved. I have complete victory all day, every day. And you're just happy to be in my presence. Amen? But that's not true. No temptation has come to any of you, but such as is common to all men. So all of us go through the same trials. All of us go through the same difficulties. Now listen, here's the thing. This is a really important thing. My lusts don't ruin your life. They ruin my life. They do ruin my wife's life. They do ruin my children's life. And because I'm your pastor, they do have an effect upon your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? But understand this. All of us are drawn away of our own lusts. They just happen to be common. You know, Satan doesn't have to have very many tricks because we're all stupid the same way. Do you understand? He only has to have a couple of little, oh, I'll throw this one out there. How many men will fall for that? All of them. All of them. Because that's how we are. Selfishness, ego. You know, we saw it together in the class this morning. Uh, Darius, Darius, the king Darius, we wanted, they wanted him to make a law that was going to get Daniel in trouble. And so what they made was a law that made him important. Because why? Because everybody wants a law that makes them important. King, we're going to make a law and you're the only one that counts. That's a good law. Let's, let's sign that right now. I'm the only one that counts. Oh, by the way, Daniel's in trouble now. I like Daniel. Well, you're the only one that counts, King. When you're selfish, you hurt everybody. This is common to all of us. And God is going to win these things. The second, the, uh, the second thing I want you to see, the other second promise I want you to see is in chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 5. And we'll be done after this. Oh, it's already late. We got to be done after this. James chapter 2, verse 5. It'll only take a second or two. James chapter 2, verse 5. Hearken, my brethren. Again, Remember, we're, we're, we're putting, uh, I'm going to start underlining. Hearken, my beloved brethren. And then put, start underlining at the word hath. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them, what? That love him. Do you see the only requirement is that you love God? Now notice this. So you underline from hath all the way to kingdom. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom? So this is the promise, heirs of the kingdom. But notice the, put a box around, rich in faith. Rich in faith. This is what God is going to do. It is going to be the richness of faith that is going to, by the way, poor in the world. You don't, oh boy, I love this. You don't have to have a penny to be saved. Amen? Not a penny. You can die you can die a pauper's death and be born again. And by the way, by contrast, right? Go to, we're not going to study it right now, but James chapter, four, go, go, James chapter 5, verse 1, go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl, for your misery shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. You can be as rich as all get out and go to hell. But you can be poor, broke, dead poor and go to heaven. Why? Because it's faith that matters and not money. You can't buy your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. It is faith that saves you. So it is rich in faith. Now what I'd like to do is I'd like to, I want to, I want to show you this richness in faith 
and tied with the other one, this enduring temptation, because God ties them together. And again, he ties them right together in the very first chapter. James chapter 1, verse 3. This will be the last thing we see together this morning. James chapter 1, verse 3 through verse 6. I have to put my glasses on. Knowing this, that the trying of your what? Faith. The trying of your faith. Why? Because this is what God wants to prove. Do you have real faith or not? That's what he wants to prove. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and, up liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask what? In faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So circle these words or, or, or box them, however you want to do it. And that is the word faith and the word faith. The word, the word faith in verse 3 and the word faith in verse 6. What I want you to realize is this. God is trying, listen, please look at me, please look at me. And I realize I've said, again, I understand this is like teaching a class. I really do understand that. But I really want you to take these things with you. God is trying your faith because if you don't have it, you can't ask him in faith. Do you understand? Listen, look at me. I told you there are two passages when we studied this. I told you there are two passages that people wrestle with, that people really wrestle with in this book. This is one of them. This, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. And this is why, because hear me. You have an open checkbook, if you will, carte blanche, to ask God for anything. But here's the thing, you've got to trust him. You know, how much, do you, know how much, you know how much that disqualifies prayer? Do you understand what I mean when I say that? Do you have any idea how many people feel like their prayers are completely, immediately disqualified? If I don't ask in faith, it's of no value to me. You know, this goes back to, Ronnie used to say, stay up all night trusting God, right? Here's why, listen. Because most Christians say they trust God. Again, going back to the Sunday school lesson, Darius says, listen, Darius says to Daniel, it's going to be okay, right? We're putting you in the lion's den. It's going to be okay. Your God, he's able to keep you alive. And then Darius doesn't sleep all night long. Why? Because he doesn't believe what he said. Right. By the way, he goes down the next morning, early in the morning, he goes down and he yells, Daniel, are you still alive? And this is what he says after that. Was your God able to keep you alive all night long? Why? Because, see, he didn't really believe what he asked to begin with. How much of your prayer life is a wish instead of faith? Wish is not the same thing as faith. God, I, we should pray like this. You should be honest with yourself. God, I wish you'd do good things for my children. God, I wish you would do it. Instead of saying, God, I know you will, if you don't know he will. By the way, he will. But let us ask in faith. Nothing. Why? Because what he's trying to prove is what? Your, what is he trying to prove? Your faith. Yes? He's trying to, do you trust him? If you don't trust him for your children, do you really trust him for your salvation? Which is more significant? Your children having a good day at school today? Or are you not going to hell? If you don't really trust God for this little thing, Lord, this bill's a big deal. I don't know how I'm going to pay it, but I'm trusting you, and you're not. Well, are you even trusting him for your salvation? Do you understand? God is proving us by teaching us. Be honest with me. 
Now, let me tell you, let me change your prayer for a second. Let me, this is how I've changed my prayer life. This is how my prayer life changed, I should say, how God changed my prayer life. I stopped pretending when I didn't trust him. I just told him, I don't trust you. I'm sorry I don't trust you. I should trust you. It's a big deal. And listen, I know in theory that you're able to do this. I know that you're actually powerful enough to this. I do know that you are, but I don't see how you would do it. I don't see why you would do it. I don't know that I trust you. This is what you, this, and what you know what became, immediately became my favorite passage in the entire Bible when the man asked Jesus to heal his son and Jesus says that I, I can if you trust me. And this is what he says, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And that became my prayer about almost everything when I was first learning to really pray. Because what I realized is I'm pretending to trust you and that's not faith. Nothing wavering, you can do this. Because he can. Because he can. We need you to do this. You can. You can. Do you understand? This is not magical. This is not rabbit's foot. This is not name it and claim it. This is you believing God at his word. I can do this. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Having given, having already given us his son to shed his blood for us, how could he not do this? Amen? Praise God. So this is it. The two promises. The two promises. One's in verse 12 of chapter 1. The second's in verse 5 of chapter 2. And that's the first word, promise. Next week we'll begin with the second one. Temptation, trial, tongue, and lust.